You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where every episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. So we'll be talking about Kate Bush, The Dreaming. In the room, I got Ben. Gimme, 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 gimme. I got John. We let the weirdness in. <laughs> and I, on the line, I have Kyle. Uh, hi, guys. <laughs> the Dreaming is a four-studio album by the English singer Kate Bush, released in 1982 via EMI Records. The producer was Kate Bush. The genre is art rock, avant pop, progressive pop, and progressive rock. And I'm going to read from All Music Review, uh, Mackenzie Wilson. Four albums into her burgeoning career, Kate Bush's The Dreaming is a theatrical and abstract piece of work, as well as Bush's first effort in the production seat. She throws herself in headfirst, incorporating various vocal loops, sometimes campy, but always romantic and inquisitive of emotion. She's angry and pensive throughout the entire album, typically poetic while pushing around the notions of a male-dominated world. However, Kate Bush is a daydreamer. Unfortunately, the dreaming, with all its intricate uh, mystical beauty, isn't fully embraced compared to her later work. Album opener Sat in Your Lap is a frightening slight on individual intellect with a booming chorus echoing over throbbing percussive and butchered brass sections. Leave It Open is goth-like with Bush's dark brooding, which is a suspending scale of vocal laments but it's the vicious and moody get out of my house that truly brings bush's many talents for art and music to a forefront it prances with dripping piano drops and gritty guitar and the violent rage felt as she screams slamming sparking a fury similar to what tori amos later ignited during her inception throughout the 90s not one to be in fear of fear the dreaming is one of kate bush's underrated achievements and depicting her own visions of love, relationships, and role-play, not to mention a brilliant predecessor to the charmingly beautiful 1985's Hounds of Love. All right, what do we think of Kate Bush, The Dreaming? Fantastic. Who's, a, who, who's the first time uh, listening to Kate Bush? Me, right here. Yeah, same here, first time. Other uh, than hearing her like backing vocals on stuff. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say I, um, I'm only familiar with Hounds of Love. I got into that record a few years ago, and I think it's a masterpiece. Um, so this was... Definitely a pleasure to listen to. I'd never heard this. Um, it's great. This is like something you've never heard before, but leads to things you will hear time and time again. Yes. And it is dance. <laughs> it is, but in it is. The, all the best ways um, and, and fearless, you know, like to, to put out an album like this, that's this like balls to the wall from a woman artist, especially at that time is amazing. This mm-hmm. is the, the her fourth album. And the first one that she gets to produce all by herself takes her over two years and she puts out, you know, ostensibly something that's not commercial, but 
is a fucking masterpiece. For being not commercial, it sold well. Did it really? Yeah. Well, I mean, it had David Gilmour on it. Well, yeah, but <laughs> but how much did it? I mean, how much did it really sell? It charted. It sounds like it was kind of a commercial disappointment, from what I've been reading. It um, was disappointing in critics' eyes because they were familiar with her more accessible, you know, pop. What would you say? Yeah, it didn't sell as much as her previous pop success. Right. But to call it uncommercial is also, you know, like, compared to what? Compared, like, it's not as commercial as their other stuff, yet it's still charting, so people are buying it, so it... Right, so commercially it still had some value. But I I think when you think about what is or is not commercial, a a common uh, bar that's set is, does it get radio play? So I can't imagine that any of these songs would be on the radio. There were there were singles released. I mean, yeah, not in the U.S. Not in the U.S. Um, yeah, no, there was an Irish single, right? Or I thought they released a handful of singles. There's a handful of music videos. Yeah, there were a couple. Um, Sat in your lap was a single. Yep. Uh, there yeah. goes a tenor was the last single they released. That one didn't do as well. Uh, and the dreaming. Yeah, the dreaming. Yeah, Night of the Swallow was a single in Ireland, mm-hmm. only in Ireland. So, I mean, just because you have singles, does it mean that they're playing them on the radio? <laughs> no, I, no. I mean, it, let's be real. I mean, they did not play. This is not like Hounds of Love. Like, we're going to get to her singles. Yeah. But this was the album that just took her from being perceived as, oh, she's a singer to being perceived as, oh, she's an artist, like a like a full on ar- artiste. This is her jacket little pill. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess you could say that. I was trying to think of a good analogy for um, when uh, we typically see these singers. Maybe they're a bit younger, you know, nineteen or twenty, and it's like, oh yeah, you gotta like your your songs are kind of poppy and catchy, and I I get it. And then like in like the next album or the next album, they come out and it's full on, holy shit, like. This is incredible. You are a incredible artist. Like, like thriller. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. But yeah. he did have yeah. like twenty albums before that, <laughs> because he was in the Jackson Five. Yes, because he was a child laborer. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but there, time and time again, we've we've seen this happen where there's you know, someone gets a big single. It goes ooh, on. Ooh, on Lil the Nas X. Yeah. Wait. I guess but, you could say that. Oh, I guess, yeah. I mean, he, that dude, uh, Old Town Road was, was his pop. Tro- Trojan horse yeah. <laughs> for, for his freaky gay agenda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, even Janelle Monet or somebody like that, where you could say, mm-hmm. oh, Tightrope. Oh, yeah, is Tightrope a, is, is a, a like, a, yeah. like a poppy right. song. And then it's full, like, she's an artist. Like, she comes out with so many, uh, and she's a bit younger. Mm-hmm. It's I think mm-hmm. it, the youth ha- ha- has a, a big to do with this kind of. Um, perception like people perceive like a younger person who can't make complicated music and she was 19 when when she started you know recording her first album when she had a weathering heights Mm -hmm. uh which was a huge yeah huge single that's a good point you know you you sort of write off the young folks as not having had the experience to do something and and especially i guess if you're saying okay well how does an artist make it in the record biz in the 80s well they need to come in, especially with their first couple albums, as being commercial successes, or they won't be able to show you any other side. Yeah, yeah. And then you need to get that Fairlight CMI sampling sense. Hell yes. And then you need to get somebody swishing bamboo sticks in the air. <laughs> you do. You do. 
Those that's what the sound is in sat in your lap. It's just somebody whipping bamboo yeah. canes <laughs> rhythmically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a big headphones record for me. Um I, I try to just listen to this in the background and I eventually had to sit down with the headphones and give it a few listens. It's like you said, uh John, it's dense. There's a lot going on. And uh what's the name of the the synthesizer that she's using? It's the Fairlight fair, CMI? Fair CMI yeah. mm-hmm. We've seen that in some other things before. It's the one that has the light pen. Is that the CMI? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's got like a lot of different programming options. It's got and, like a computer monitor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like she picked it up pretty quickly when she was producing this record. Um, I think that she had used it, uh, been able to play around with it a bit on her album right directly before this. And then based on like that experience, she's like, well, I want that all over this one. Yeah, it's doing some cool stuff on this record. Yeah. I mean, synth or no synth, there's all sorts of other things going on, too. The way she's using the back and forth vocals, using her singing vocals versus her sort of screamed vocals. Versus her falsetto singing vocals. Yeah, versus what I think in the review that Birch was reading, you said something about, like, sometimes she would come back in with, like, a little bit of camp. Mm -hmm. You know, because, I mean, There Goes a Tenor is kind of a song about, like, a bungled uh, robbery where they blow up a safe and all the money goes flying in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so it's kind of a goof, but like, I don't know, somehow when she does it, everything she's doing, if you just let it go through, it works. Like it, none of it starts to tear at me and it's, it's, it's intense stuff. Like it, yeah. it would be, it could be stuff that would easily tear into you. Yeah. There's not enough references to gaff tape in popular music. <laughs> and when I read that suspended in gaffa is about gaff tape. Yeah. <laughs> Like, cool. (laughs) Anyone who's worked on any kind of stage, whether it be theater or music, knows that gaff tape is worth its weight in gold and always steal it from the House of Blues. (laughs) I've heard heard you say the number one thing to do at the House of Blues is steal their gaff gaff tape. tape. (laughs) They're going to nickel and dime you on merch. They're going to nickel and dime you every step of the way. So just steal all their gaff tape. That shit's expensive and you need it. They've got more. Dan Aykroyd owns the place. <laughs> we're not ones for busting through walls, but they've told us unless we can prove that we're doing it, we can't have it all. He's gonna wangle away to get out of it. She's an excuse and a witness who talk when he's called, but they've told us unless we can prove that we're doing it, we can't have it all. Uh, yeah, it's she's very clever in the studio, and I think this was uh, it's a Peter Gabriel sort of. I was hearing a lot of Peter Gabriel in this, where it's throw every you know, I have all these ideas, and let's. Let's just run through them all. Yeah, this is a little lambs lies, lies down on Broadway esque. Was it? Uh, we, we, I know we've heard we her go. doing backup vocals on some of the albums we've covered. Was that Peter Gabriel? Like Melt. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah, the chocolate's in the peanut butter. Yeah. And she's like, well, I'll just get David Gilmore to sing backup on mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter Gabriel, you could get Kate Bush. Well, you know what? I'll get David Gilmore. <laughs> And then David Gilmore will get Tori Amos. Yeah, well, and she'll get Peter Gabriel. Exactly. Uh, do you guys know the history of David Gilmore? No. With Kate Bush? No. So when she was 14, she was writing music. She was producing these songs 
um, and Ricky Hopper, a family friend with connections to the music business, took her tape of 30 songs to these record labels. They're like, eh. uh, so eventually he knew David Gilmore and he presented it to David Gilmore and Gilmore's like, this is cool. This is pretty good. Uh, and then he basically just uh, fronted the money to put up a three song demo uh, to professional standards. And after that, she got signed. That's awesome. So he was kind of like, you know, at that time, he he was had enough clout to uh, to kind of, you know, give throw the money to let her record. And David Gilmore's got, got some 1982 clout. Yeah. yeah, he's kind of her patron. Yeah. 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 Patron. That's awesome. So cool. Uh, the rhythmic breathing uh, in in the title track, the dreaming, uh, was uh, sampled by Depeche Mode for Personal Jesus. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> and you see how her stuff could lend to sampling or lend to musical concepts. Like, as I'm listening to some of the stuff, especially like the way that she comes in with her high pitched phrased lyrics in um, "Leave It Open," it almost sounds like. Uh, the asides that happen in a Kanye West song when he has a bit of a sped up gospel song. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. the same sort of like high vocals that come in just for a bit of a phrase. And Mm -hmm. it really has a, uh, it has a power to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. It's uh, Bjork. I mean, (laughs) I think that just needs to be said at some point in this podcast. Like I was was getting Bjork. I was getting a lot of Amanda Palmer. Sure. Amanda Palmer, Tori Amos, Amos, like, uh, this is apparently also a favorite album of Big Boy. I loved and, reading that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought Andre, but no, Big Boy. <laughs> Kudos to you, Big Boy. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and I think this, I mean, we always kind of bring it up, but the, it is carrying on the the sort of like through line back to War Nero and, um, you know, I'm some, glad you're some of those, yeah, yeah. And some of those ideas that she was conveying while I didn't like her and I don't like her music, I do, uh, her influence is probably felt throughout, mm-hmm. you know, these different artists and not just because she's a woman, it's because she is layering her vo- vocals and, and doing these things. Also Bowie, mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. in Roxy music, you know, like yeah. Yeah. there's a, there's a lot. I hadn't thought of Lauren, Laura Nero all week. But then just a few minutes ago, when we were sitting here talking, uh, we were listening to Suspended and Gaffa, and I was like, oh, man, Laura Nero. Like, I I wonder if Laura Nero had had access to a synthesizer, Oh, if I would have felt differently about mm. that. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to wait until there's a lull in the conversation and bring that up. And that mm. was when you yeah. said Laura Nero. Uh, so cool. I yeah. think if she had a, you know, I, I won't go into it, yeah. but yeah. Uh, so excited, though, if you guys haven't heard Hounds of Love. Oh coming up and yeah it's hounds so of love is a masterpiece i know good. the track but not the does album. it have running up that hill on it yeah yeah first track yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, the banger of course uh the song hounds of love uh i got to kate bush by way of future heads i yep yeah they do a great cover I of love uh, that cover yeah hounds yeah. of love uh so this had so many different instruments uh folk instruments mandolins uh didgeridoos bazooki Bazookies. Bull roars. Bamboo sticks. Uelian pipes. <laughs> Got uh, members of the Chieftains, uh, Chieftains and Planksty uh, playing the uh, traditional Irish folk instruments on Night of the Swallow. Yeah. Uh, the, I love to, she has those like shifting time signatures. There's like these textures that are thrown in, polyrhythm, like 
percussion stuff, samples, vocal loops. I mean, she does it. This whole gamut of, of things. It just almost feels like someone's brain just like dumped out on on the pa- yeah. on onto a, a tape. It's amazing. On the track that's in our ears right now, Does leave, it, leave open, it open. What do you call that process that's happening to her lyrics? Is that phasing? Is it a phased lyrics? Is that an envelope filter? Envelope filter. Okay. I don't know what it does. I just know that's what it called. I mean, it, I mean, what does it do to the actual sound? Like, like what's it doing it? to the sound wave yeah. that makes it sound like that? Uh, it seals it in an envelope. It seals it in an envelope. <laughs> it sounds spooky like a ghost. <laughs> yeah, and then those background vocals happen in there. Oh. Yeah. But I started learning how. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And it's just, per. it's like right in the back. Yeah, the way they layer the sound exactly is, is yeah. really on point. I mean, it's it's what you can do when you have two years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I really like the sequencing of this record, too. I thought it flowed really well. Like, the last two songs, uh, Houdini and, and Get Out of My House, like, those are startlingly powerful songs. Yeah, the building, the I mean, it's it's intense the whole time through, but those two are crushers, and to end with Get Out of My House... Especially the way the get out of house ends. With people saying yeah. Eeyore. <laughs> well, yeah, but like really aggressively. Yeah. In the credits, uh, it, it, someone's credited to, it just says Eeyore. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have that small, like at the very end after like all that rage and storm and, and power, it has this little piece where they sort of go back and forth doing, um, and I'm going to probably mess up how you say it, but in um, Indian drum teaching, there's this like bowl, B-O-L, drum talk in like the Tala rhythm where before you can play the drum, you have to talk the rhythm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they have this little da ding da 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 between themselves. You can see people on YouTube doing that. Yeah. It's pretty dope. Yeah. It <laughs> so it's kind of a, I don't know. It just wraps it all up. Yeah. My first listen to track eight, all the love, the beginning of it, especially with her kind of acrobatic vocal stylings. And then that fretless bass, I was getting, Joni Mitchell and Jocko mm, vibes yeah, yeah. very much from it. Mm-hmm. Was mm-hmm. I forget was that Hijira that yep, he was all Hijira. over? Mm-hmm. It's hard to it's hard to play a fretless bass and not sound like uh, like oh like oh you're doing a Jocko yeah. <laughs> but like especially if you're playing over like someone like singing high pitched jazz chords yeah you're really gonna sound like you're doing a Jocko and yeah. you know what. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like no, I'm okay I, with I, doing a Jocko and a, and a, and a Joni Mitchell, you know, <laughs> I like, liked Hajira <laughs> and I like the dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you can just see people's, uh, I mean this and killing joke, you can just see people's like brains starting to turn into, turn to like looping, sampling, industrial music, like that, yeah. that whole, uh, you know, genre of music. It's, it's wild. Yeah, Depeche Mode was like, okay, yeah. let's take this breath. This makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they're like, yeah, I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to actually put it in. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to mention something else about the Fairlight. Um, her 1980 album, Never Forever, was the first commercially released album to incorporate the Fairlight CMI, oh, digital uh, sampling synthesizer. Nice. So she's. She she wants that cutting edge. Mistaken for a tree, till you near him on the 
record cover. Um, I know we've been talking about mediocre record covers oh, recently. Oh, right, yeah. This is a fantastic... I know it ties in with the song Houdini. Yeah, um, I thought that was cool. Do you want to describe the image a little bit? Sure. There's a, you know, there's a guy in the forefront, his back's to you, and he's apparently in gigantic chains. Looks like he has a top hat, I think. I don't have it in front of me. And um, she's in front of him. She's looking the other way. She has her tongue open, or her mouth open, her tongue's hanging out, and there's like a wedding ring, I think? It's a key. It's a key is to it a the key chains. Or, is it a key or a wedding ring? It's, it's a, key. a key to the chains. Yeah, but it's golden, so I could see how that would be confusing, especially because yeah. it has a loop at the back. Yeah. That's why I need this record, so I could see it bigger. <laughs> Uh, do Great you know record who, cover. I mean, next to like ABC and Wolf. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really nice uh, photo in sepia tone. Do you know who is standing there with their back to you covered in chains? I hope it's not Rolf Harris. No, no, it's that guy that's playing that fretless bass. <laughs> it is. Uh, I forget his name. Is I'm blanking on Del it. something? Yeah, or? yeah. That is her uh, partner at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and she's doing the kind of... Um, Houdini's wife to Houdini, uh, I think her name was Bess? Bess. Yeah, Yeah, and so I guess Mm -hmm, the trick mm -hmm. was when Houdini was doing his water escape, he'd be all chained up and he'd get a kiss from his wife. And in the kiss, she would pass him the key to the lock. Yeah, hearing the song Houdini made me want to know more about Bess Houdini. Because there's also the part, like, like after Houdini's death, when she was like at a seance and like her and Harry Houdini had like already planned out. It was like, okay, so if I die and you're at a seance, <laughs> yeah. this is what you say. I'm like, man, that is a couple with a plan. Well, yeah. I think that Houdini, I mean, one, spiritualism was huge at the time, but wasn't Houdini like a famous debunker of yes. frauds? Like he's yes. like, oh, I will, as a magician, I will go and I will expose you because yeah. you're taking advantage of people. So if I ever die, like, uh, here's how you know it's really me. <laughs> Randy, what's his name? Randy, the magician that just oh, he died recently. Yeah, the guy who would like have the million dollar. Yeah, uh, yeah. Any, like if he couldn't debunk you, he'd give you money or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you could actually prove you had extrasensory perception or, or anything, he would pay yeah, you. He, he would just go on like the Maury Povich show whenever mm-hmm. someone's doing it. He's like, nope, this is how you're doing it. Right. Simpsons mm-hmm. did it. Right. Or they would never be able to replicate it under, you know, like a studio yeah. environment because they were faking it. Like Houdini was like a turn of the century, mm-hmm. that guy. Yeah. yeah. Pretty awesome. But it's also funny that. Apparently, even in the midst of all, he's like, if I die and you do a seance, because I know you will, mm-hmm. here's how you know it's me. <laughs> so I, I want to know that story, though. Did did Bess go to a seance? Was it him? No. She she did several seances and she they had like a code that they worked out. Yeah. Yep. But it was never him. And because she, they're fake. she says that they connected once. Oh, like she got the code once. Birch says no. <laughs> Birch says shenanigans. Birch is shaking his head no. The Ouija board, if you use it after midnight, is totally going to possess you at the sorority party. That's right. She was on drugs. No, I don't know. (laughs) Every time I use a Ouija board, I just ended up contacting Milton Bradley. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) Again? (laughs) I thought it was really weird, too. They said that Weathering Heights... Her first, you know, number one, 1978, Kate Bush became the first female to top the UK charts with a self-composed song. Is that possible? Yeah. I mean, because think about it. A lot of times women artists, uh, hmm. you know, had their songs written for them by like the big song houses. Sure. And but so if you're going to say what is a chart topper. So 1978. Late. 1978. So, but that's the first female artist to top the UK charts, right? So that's a number mm-hmm. one in the UK. In the UK. So 
First female to top the UK charts with a self-composed song. Because I don't think Joni Mitchell ever had a number one. Probably not. You know, because you gotta have it. You gotta have a, a woman artist who, you know, can get a number one. Yeah. That that's one, and then two to have one that's composed by them themselves. Yeah, that seems strange. Seems to me. like a bunch of BS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't have taken till seventy eight. Yeah. England. And well, the Isles. I, I wonder. <laughs> How many years different and in what direction the U.S. one was? Yeah, probably worse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say we probably did much, much worse, but who knows? Uh, I mean, did Aretha have any number one? I was going to say. She must did, have. Did she have, did she compose them though? Some, she composed she some, of, some her of her stuff. Yeah. I don't know which mm. ones would have been number one. And she wrote ones. some things for her sisters too. Yeah. I mean, she. Yeah. I don't know if Janice had a number one. But if she did with me and Bobby McGee, she didn't write it. She didn't write it. Yeah. Right. Christopherson. Yeah. So that yeah. is that is tough. The composition issue. Yeah. Yeah. Even male artists, you know, didn't have uh, they, they didn't write for themselves often. I mean, songwriters need work too. Yeah, yeah. it's good money. That's true. Uh, I thought it was cool too. She experimented with the um, the wireless uh, voice microphone technology. Oh, like a the headset Brooks? Yes. <laughs> yeah. She was one of the first. After they had a, a certain experimental one in the '60s. But she's the one who uh, really started uh, utilizing it. Is it so she could 80s. do her interpretive dance live on stage? Yep. <laughs> Fuck yeah. She pranced so Garth could not. <laughs> <laughs> she pranced so Garth could have friends in low prices. <laughs> now, I, was watch- I-, I watched a handful of the music videos that she released for this album. Love As I them. said, I, th- that's what I've been enjoying doing these recent weeks. They're, they're all cool, and it seems like every one of them, the, the, the synopsis of the music video is Kate Bush is interpretive dancing the song, and stuff's also going on. Yes. Well, that's mm-hmm. like a Peter Gabriel, right? Just interpretive dance and stuff goes on. Yeah. Which is, it's a solid model. I'm not saying it's a bad I think, model. I think people are still figuring out the music video, uh, what works and what doesn't. I'll tell you who figured it out. Fucking John Landis figured it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, talk, we'll get there. So, okay, the Houdini thing. I'm sorry. I had to look that up. <laughs> I got the quote that, um, that uh, uh, his wife was successful contacting him once uh, from Kate Bush, when she was explaining this song. Um, she said, uh, so after his death, his wife made several attempts to contact her dead husband. And on one occasion, he did come through to her. I thought that was so beautiful. The idea that this man who had spent his life escaping from chains and ropes had actually managed to contact his wife. The image was so beautiful that I had to just write a song about it. Wow. Do you think that in death, Houdini's covered in chains like Marley? <laughs> um, yeah, but explicitly like the the Muppets Christmas Carol version of Marley and Marley. Oh, Marley and Marley. <laughs> yeah. With Statler and Waldorf. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do we think? What do you think? I, I, I like this. Yeah. I like this. I look forward to uh, hearing Hounds of Love. Nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely positive for uh, a first time hearing, you know, Kate Bush other than running up that hill. Yeah. Uh, this is I, I did not know what to expect and I was blown away. Uh, if I saw this out, I would I would buy it uh, and I would play it really loud and, and freak out the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is great stuff. If I ever see this on vinyl, I'm going to I'm going to pick it up and throw on the headphones and make other people listen to it. I love this record. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. Kate Bush is wonderful artist and definitely deserves to, to be in here. Like she's a 
she is like, I don't even know what to say. She's so ahead of her time that it, it blows me away. And this album is magnificent. I thought it was interesting. It was poorly received, like mixed received. And I think that really had to do with one that she was perceived as, you know, a pop artist. Mm-hmm. And this is completely different. And also, I mean, when you have like an album like this where it's like so, so dense, it's going to be hard to to sort of like pull out have a frame of reference. It's dense even. and weird even by 1982 standards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, wonderful album though. Can't wait. We're going to get the uh the other one here in like 30 albums or so. Love Hoons. Love Hoons. <laughs> 1985, yeah. <laughs> All right, next time we'll be talking about Orange Juice. Rip it up. Yes. Yes. Right, thanks so. Join the group. The tambourine, jingle, jangle. The media roams and rambles, not taken in. I break the circle. I want this man to go away. Hit